You're locked on to the Contra Radio Network. Welcome to the Jeffers Brief, only on Contra Radio Network. Welcome again, listeners, to the Jeffers Brief on Contra Radio Network. I am your lovable host, John Jeffers. Today, and today only, I was lucky to get this. My guest is Scott Alexander, a close personal friend of mine. And we met in a courtroom. And he has got, look, I know a lot of people. Scott is probably one of the most fascinating guys I have ever met. Now, he doesn't wear a cape, but he does do this. He is so intellectual, it's scary. He's, he's scary. I'm telling you that now. So I always used to look forward to when Scott would come in the court because I'd love to pick his brain. I got questions. Scott has answers. I want to pick your brain. And he'd give me an answer, and I'd look at him like I'm a dumbass and say, what do you mean? So welcome, Scott. Welcome to the Jeffers Brief. Well, it's a pleasure. I always enjoy John's company. Uh, John introduced me to the whole idea of going to Civil War recreations. I've never been to one before, and I was blown away by it. I was always blown away by his knowledge and fascination and interest in the Civil War, which it's not been a central focus of mine. But being um, the, the, uh, a member of a mixed marriage, my wife being uh, a Southerner, well, so to speak, <laughs> and myself being a myself being a damn Yankee, you could say it's a mixed marriage. I don't know whether you would call her a Southerner because she was born in 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 in, in uh, Kentucky, which really wasn't entirely a Southern state. But that's more your department than mine. We will qualify it as a yes. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> um, in any in any event, her her personal identification was always Southern. And so that's how I um, first came into contact with Southern ideology because you could sure as hell bet I wasn't getting any in Chicago. You're right so, about that. <laughs> um, you know, so I, 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 uh, and I, and I got into it. You know, I really kind of dig it. So, um, and, and uh, so, so it, 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 it is a, uh, in that sense, a mixed marriage. But I think that it works as a happy one. Anyway, so John got me into that, and I remember John was a dynamic and, and very impressive um, uh, sheriff's deputy uh, in his operations in the various courtrooms I worked in. And then once in a while, his um, uh, use of force came in necessary. Uh, you know, not everybody who comes into these courtrooms, we were working in uh, debtor collections i was a collection lawyer in my in my other life before my retirement and it, sometimes uh things are not always so uh sweet and rosy and quiet and pacific and we needed to have john there in order to enforce a sense of order shall we say but you know what scott i remember you many times and listeners trust me on this i saw scott bend over backwards and backwards and backwards 
when people came to him and said, you know, I, I just can't do this because I don't, you know, they just didn't have the money. This was like during uh, 2008, 2009, during the housing crunch. And, yeah. and I saw Scott with compassion. He, the only time, the only time that you would get dragged in front of the judge and ordered to do something is if time and time again, the debtor would not make any effort. If you, if you made some effort, that was good enough. And I'm telling you, I, I've saw a lot of uh, debt collection attorneys who were just hard asses. Scott was not one of them. And that's Maybe one of them. No, you should not have, because you know what? <laughs> you know what? You get more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. You really yeah. do. And I think, and you know, I watched a lot of people come in and try to sham you. And you gave them the benefit of the doubt over and over and over again. Now, listeners, this is why I have Scott on here. Scott is a very dangerous man. And you're saying, John, you just told me he's a nice guy. He is a great guy. He's a stand-up guy. What you see is what you get. This is what I mean. He's dangerous. He's a convert. You're thinking, convert? I'm going to tell you. He was a diehard liberal, and he changed. He became a conservative. And I'll tell you something. You want to pick the mind of a liberal to see why they act the way they do? Because I asked Scott this question when we were waiting for cases to be called. I said, Scott, why do they you know, believe what they do? Why do they act the way they do? And I'm, you know what? I want you to hear the answer from the man himself. This is what I mean. When I say somebody who's really intellectually superior, Scott truly is. He'll be able to... Go ahead, Scott. No, well, thank you for that. Well, the truth of the matter was, I, I, I reject that. I was never a liberal, maybe for one minute. What <laughs> I was was a communist. What? Oh! Yes. Oh! I was a flat-out communist. Were you really? I didn't. Yeah, yeah, no, no. We, we, didn't, we didn't waste time with damn liberals. Uh, <laughs> we, went, we went all the way. I was a, a jury. Okay, so from, uh, call it my... I was a communist already in my first year of college, but by the second year of college, uh, I was a card-carrying member of a communist party. Wow! And I remained, and I remained that way until oh, eh, let's say my it was in my first year, or at, at the latest, my second year of law school. That I uh, that I got away from that, but I, I had been an active member of a communist formation, which still exists to this day, called the Socialist Workers Party. Wow! Which was actually the party that Leon Trotsky, um, um, shall we say, uh, approved in the United States. So I was a Trotskyist, and uh, <laughs> Trotskyist. And, and, and that party, that party exists to the day. Um, there's still one person in, in it, or sort of in it, um, who I still uh, uh, hear from, um, and uh, who has not changed in the entire period of time, much to my shock and surprise. Um, and um, 
but I already, by the time I, I got, when I started to, I think it was when I was started to, in law school to do things in property law and actually work on property law. And I, I became, became rather close to my professor in that and working in contracts law with the great professor Jaeger, may he rest in peace, um, uh, that, I, that I, I started to really uh, open up my eyes and came to the conclusion that there was only one successful revolution in, in world history, and that was the American Revolution, and all the others are failures. <laughs> and not only are they all failures, but they're all disasters. They're, they're, they're disasters for the human spirit, disasters for the mind, disasters for the pocketbook and disasters for life and limb. And this has not changed. It, it's true of every single communist dictatorship. Um, right now, it's, it's a kind of a close bet which is worse, the Chinese or the Korean, but they're both so bad that it's kind of hard to tell which one is worse. The Korean seems to be the more primitive. The Chinese seems to be the more effective and therefore the more dangerous. So... Um, yeah, that's that's what it is. But why why do they become communists? You know, we used to say that if you're not a communist when you're young, you have no heart, no heart. <laughs> and when you when you if you remain one into your thirties or forties, you got no brains. And that's really what what I think is true. But I don't even I don't even buy the part about the heart anymore because their hearts are all are, are, are all compromised um, and these um, uh, so-called uh, communists who not, don't know the first thing about it who are running around on college campuses and and whether they're the professors or the students both are infected um, I, I don't know that any of them really think what they're doing is right I think they're just committed to this form of evil and and um, and, and, and if they talk a, a good line about compassion and everything else, I think they know in their heart of hearts that it's BS, and I mean BS with a capital BS. Very good. All right, we'll be right back after these messages. Scott, stick around. Listeners, stick around. You're not going to want to miss this. I mean, we're going to get into some things here, and you're going to get a look into the mindset. You've already got a glimpse we're going to do a little bit deeper dive. We'll be right back after these messages. At Stag Arms, there is no weak side. Our rifles are 100% American-made, including each and every part assembled. We aim to provide recreational shooters, law enforcement officers, hunters, and professional shooters with super quality and competitively priced rifles. Every rifle shipped is built to order. Check out Stag Arms now. Log on to ContraRadioNetwork.com 
and click on the Stag Arms banner. So are you tired of being tired? Well, then it's time to get the tea. Hey, it's Lisa here to tell you about this all-natural, all-organic tea I've been drinking that has had great results for over 20 years. It's called Life Change Tea, and it's specially formulated to help detoxify and cleanse your kidneys, liver, colon, and blood all at once. The colon is one of the most ignored organs in the human body. The faster that waste is eliminated from the body, the less time that waste sits in our intestines, spreading toxins to our bloodstream. This tea helps cleanse chemicals caused by outside intruders from our entire digestive system. And get this, weight loss can be a side effect. And with continued use of the tea, you can experience clear, healthier, younger-looking skin, increased energy, and a happier outlook on life. So if you're tired of being tired, get the Life Change Tea at GetTheTea.com. That's GetTheTea.com. And like me, you'll be glad you did. Welcome back, Intelligentsia. I'm with my guest, Scott Alexander, a former co-worker. And as you just heard in segment one, he was a former card-carrying communist. He is no longer such. He has seen the light and come to the light. My friends, if you want to defeat what you see on the streets of America today, which I think is, look, I've got no problem with protesting. You want to jump up and down, scream, carry on, I don't care. When you cross the line into harming people and taking away their ability to make a living, you've crossed the line. And, Scott, I want to ask you something here, my friend. Yeah. What justification do groups like Antifa, I mean, where where are they coming up with this idea, this this ideology that says it's okay to do that? I mean, I, I mean my listeners, we, we all shake our heads going, what the hell are they doing? Why? What do they hope to accomplish? Do you have any idea or an insight into their way of thinking? I'll do my best. First of all, I want to just understand that everybody knows what's going on. I mean, is your viewership, your, your listenership, aware of the riots that are going on in Chicago? I mean, from what I gather, I don't, I have not listened. I, I've not had a network TV in 40 years. Good so for I you. don't know. But from what I gather, people who watch the mainstream press, the mainstream news, they're not, I understand they're not actually reporting this stuff. Is that true? They are selectively reporting to support their narrative, their, their worldview. They, um, for example, um, for President Trump signed that executive order to lower prescription drug, drug prices. They didn't even yeah. talk about it. And that's important for seniors and the poor people in our country. Hell, it's important for everybody in this country. But what the mainstream yeah. media is doing is they're cherry-picking, uh, for example, in Portland, for the longest time, they kept saying, but they're peaceful protesters. 
And despite the fact the video was being posted all over the place of them trying to set fire to the federal courthouse, which I think is a disgrace, uh, trying to kill anybody or harming or harm people who don't agree with them, they were uh, engaged in racketeering and forcing business owners to fork over protection money when they took over that uh, six-block area. And I'm thinking, what in the hell is going on here? Why? You know, when when those conservatives took over the Malheur uh, Wildlife Refuge in Oregon a, a few years ago, the feds yeah. lost their minds. But yeah. apparently you can go and set fire at the federal courthouse and it's hands-off and they're all peaceful protesters. And that's the kind of uh, worldview we're getting from the mainstream media. Nobody, I don't think anybody in my listenership Actually, actually around the, the globe actually believes a word the mainstream media says anymore because they look at them as uh you know they're they're loading the deck so do people understand that they're using laser beams to blind cops yes we just there was a picture going around and i found out that the picture was actually of a riot in chile and I said, guys, if you're going to post this story, and I agree it's important to post it, you got to post an accurate picture. And so I posted, I reposted a picture of it, of them using the laser beams in Portland. And at my now, look, you and I have some kind. We have a we got enough of legal definitions. And that is, I said, look, you're going to blind somebody. In my opinion, that's great bodily harm. And I it's said, terrifying. Think they about have a war going against the cops. Right. This is a state of war. This is not. This is. This is. This is. Whenever they start telling you about the peaceful protests, that's that. There's nothing peaceful going on here. Those peaceful protests that they're talking about are merely the propaganda front for what's really happening with these guys. All right. Let's talk about Antifa and. <laughs> Uh, some of the other groups that your audience should be aware of, like Freedom Road Liberation Party, um, uh, the Revolutionary Communist Party, um, the, uh, the, the current version of the Social Democrats of America. Um, these are classic um, new left, it's a term that came up in the 60s, um, Stalinist, hardcore Stalinist revivals um, that have their historic roots going back um, rather consistently um, to the early 60s and before that because the parents of the um, leaders of these groups were all communists of one group or another, whether they were Trotskyists or Stalinists going back into the 50s and before. They were all what are called red tiger babies. Um, many of the people in these groups have been in China, they've been in Venezuela, they've been to Cuba, where they get all expenses, finance, trips, um, uh, and get brainwashed while they're there even more than they are going. Um, they, and, and of course, they're never allowed to see anything but the Potemkin village, ah. uh, the, the beautiful, um, the lovely, the talented, the nice, that's all they get to see. They don't get to see the reality of these evil regimes. 
Um, these groups, uh, which, by the way, are, are disdained by Trotskyists. That's another story, and maybe I'll have a moment to get to it. But these um, uh, really um, hardcore Stalinist groups, a lot of them come from Chicago. A lot of them had their origins in Chicago. A lot of Chicago, the Chicago historic left, whether it's in Hyde Park or um, uh, on the north side, um, this goes back a long time. And, and I mean, that's where you get people, not just Obama, but Obama's teachers, mm -hmm. people like uh, Bernadine Dorn. And uh, what's her husband's name? Uh, uh, Who's teaching Bill Ayers. Bill Ayers. Yeah, Bill Ayers. Bill Ayers. All of those people, those are all old-time Chicago um, hardcore commies. Uh, they used to have a, uh, um, a Heartland Cafe in Chicago, which was their uh, meeting place, stamping ground, hangout. Uh, and they, they had a, a thing called the Heartland Journal which regularly reported on wonderful things going on in Venezuela <laughs> and Cuba, etc. These people, Bernadine Dorn and Bill Ayers, were weathermen. That means that they were the ones who were responsible for the blowing up of, oh, maybe 50 to 100 um, uh, uh, po you know, police targets, uh, monuments, etc. back in the um, uh, early 70s. Um, and I knew those people, um, and they're the people who are in this. And they, it is now pretty well established that the leaders of these organizations met in China within the past couple of years, had conferences, and got their marching orders from the intelligence units of the People's Liberation Armies. Wow, uh, again, I did not know it, that. It, 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 for, this is not really an area of my of my expertise, but if you want more on it, I'm happy to tell you who to see. There's a, a brilliant, brilliant guy named Joshua Phillip. He doesn't spell it like he spells it P-H-I-L, one L, I-P-P. And you can get him on YouTube. It's called Crossroads. Joshua Phillips does a daily video podcast of about a half an hour every day of the weekend, now Sundays as well, talking about essentially the, the news generally and especially with respect to China and the Chinese Communist Party, which he is probably the greatest enemy of in the world. He is um, one of the people coming out of the Epoch Times group. Oh, yeah. Your, your listeners are aware of that. I think if you're looking for some alternative to the papers, the things I read, I read the Wall Street Journal, uh, gagging all the way, but I read it every day. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I, I read Epoch Times. I read Bongino. Dan Bongino is fantastic. Uh, I no longer read Drudge, nope. who's defected from the good side and gone over to the side of the devil. Um, uh, I like Breitbart. Um, and then there are some other things I like. But those, but if you get to listen to Joshua Phillip every day on Crossroads on YouTube, you'll be well repaid for having done so. For instance, how many of your listeners know 
about the upcoming disaster, which when it hits, we'll all know about it. And I've known about this coming on for a month or so now because of his reporting in Epoch Times. The greatest, the biggest dam in the world, and I don't mean just a little bigger, it's like many orders of magnitude bigger than even the other biggest dams in the world, is the Three Gorges Dam on the Yangtze River, which is one of the largest rivers in the world. It's bending. And it's that, failing. Uh, it's bending. It's failing. It's going to be destroyed <laughs> in the current set of environmental disasters which are oh. going on there. And the Chinese actually look upon this as proof that the Communist Party does not have what they call the sanction of heaven. The and that that's why they're being visited by these terrible uh, weather. They have had, had a foot of snow in Beijing and, and in other places in China in the middle of summer this year. Oh, oh. Um, terrible things are going on. And, you know, I'm a religious person. I'm not just a convert from communism. I'm a convert to Judaism. That's true. Um, it, it, that's a, a complicated story. I'm actually <laughs> born Jewish, but only on my father's side. Um, and so in order to um, get back into Orthodox Judaism, I actually had to go through uh, a conversion ceremony, and that was critical to our marriage and everything. Um so I am a convert in religion as well. And you know what? When people tell me things like that, I actually believe them mm -hmm. about the sanction of heaven. I actually believe in things like that. Because I think heaven does have a sanction. I think heaven hates communism. Mm -hmm. I, think heaven loves, I think heaven loves America, uh, the America as founded. Okay. All right. hold, hold, hold your thought. we got to take a break. I will be right back. People, don't go anywhere. We have just scratched the surface. We'll be right back after this. Stand by, stand by. Radio Network, CRN, for all the right reasons. This is the Contra Radio Network, CRN, for all the right reasons. Life is unpredictable, but you can count on Valley Food Storage to help you and your family prepare. With clean, natural, great tasting, and long-lasting food storage, with our natural and nutritious freeze-dried food, you'll be storing the food you love to eat. Log on to ContraRadioNetwork.com and click on the Valley Food Storage banner. Proper has made tactical gear with a purpose for over 50 years since their first U.S. Navy contract in 1967. Today, Proper designs and manufactures professional-level tactical apparel and gear for military, law enforcement, and public safety professionals and civilians, whether in the service, on the job, or off for the weekend. Log on to ContraRadioNetwork.com and click on the proper banner now.
Welcome back for segment three. My host, Scott Alexander. Scott, I got a question for you. Yeah. Do you see a potential Civil War 2.0 here in America? God, I hope not. I hope not either, but I, I, I got to tell you, I've seen a bunch of uh, posts from the other side and they're screaming revolution, revolution, insurrection, resistance, the whole nine yards. And they have said, we want a revolution. Well, this is, I, I don't want to be the ones to break it to them, but it's like, you're not, it's not going to happen bloodlessly. God forbid it goes, it goes bad. And I think right now you got enough patriots who, even though they'd love to go counter-demonstrate against Antifa and whip their ass and give them all asphalt naps, they got to work. <laughs> they got to work. They got to go to work. They don't rely on the government to sit there and give them handouts. They're out there working, putting food on the table, supporting their families. I, I, uh, I don't understand what their mental outlook is. Do they really believe they can overthrow this republic? Or is this just to create havoc and discontent? Well, I, I think they want to. And I think we're in a very dangerous moment. But, you know, I've formed my opinions over many years based on my life and what I've seen. And I, and I could be completely wrong. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I've been wrong before. Hey, welcome to the club. Many times. <laughs> But here, here's my read on it. I, I tend to be, even in the face of very good reasons not to be, I tend to be extremely optimistic. Okay. I tend to be extremely op optimistic for several reasons, and let's see if I can off the top of my head come up with them. Okay. So the first, the first reason I would say is... I mean, I know that the problem with generals is they fight the last war, but I keep on fighting that last war. And my, I, when I am looking for a, um, an analog of the present moment, I want to look at something like the 72 election, mm. which, correct me if I'm wrong, was McGovern-Nixon. You're correct. It was a Nixon landslide. It was a Nixon landslide, and why? The silent what majority. Had up, what had led up to 1972 was the weathermen. The people that I was just talking about. Right. There, what had happened by 71, 70, the war in Vietnam ground down to its eventual terrible halt. After, by the way, we had won it. Correct. Which is what they don't tell you. Right. And because of that, stimulus was no longer present. The anti-war movement, which was a mass movement of millions of people in the street, a very different kind of of mass movement than you're seeing now. And a mass movement which, by the way, I think to a certain extent the Trotskyists uh, could rightfully take credit for if you 
uh, it, it, looking at it from a satanic point of view. Um, as a member of the party then, our uh, focus was on a single issue anti-war movement and we used front groups like the Student Mobilization Committee um, to sponsor and create and build these gigantic million-person marches on Washington and things like that. Um, and that was part of the work that I did. Um, but by, the se by about 71 or so, that stimulus was gone, and that youth mobilization of the 60s came puttering to its end, and in the end of it, like in the end of all mass movements, like in the end of the 1905 revolution in Russia, like in the end of all uh, socialist movements that come to their failure, they always, 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 always degenerate into ultra-left terrorism at the end. Because at that point, they've lost faith in their own masses, because terrorism is, not a, is never a mass movement. It cannot be. Indeed, Vladimir Lenin, father of communism, um, wrote a book um, called Left-Wing Communism, an Infantile Disorder, in which he, coming from his Bolshevik perspective, critiqued the general left movement and its descent into, into terrorism. And he, and he said back then that you get nowhere doing that. You alienate the people who you might have convinced. Um, and not only that, but you become, by becoming terrorist, um, a, uh, a, 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 a an attraction for what are called agents provocateurs. Mm -hmm. Those are police agents who dress up as communists and join your group, egg you on, get you to do bad things, and then arrest you. Um, and, and, and so uh, Lenin's argument was that it's wrong for communist groups to degenerate that way. However, one of the things I noticed when I was a communist was that I was the only one reading the books. <laughs> My fellow communists didn't read anything. I read all the works of Lenin that were worth reading. I read all the works of Marx and Engels that were worth reading, and many others besides, including Trotsky. The other people in the movement didn't read anything at all. They just did what they were told by their higher-ups. And, and one of the things about these parties, they're all centralized. Nobody does anything because they want to. Every member of these organizations that I've mentioned is a cadre. They have marching orders. They have plans. And that's the reason why a hundred communists in a group can do 10,000 worth of damage mm -hmm. if they want to. Now, these groups that I've mentioned have descended into ultra-left terrorism, and that's what happened in 1971. You hear what I'm saying? That's what happened back then. And what happened was there was revulsion. There was a t period that I recall distinctly during the late, middle 70s, late 70s, early 80s, where to call somebody a liberal was an insult, and people didn't like to be called liberal. Imagine that. Um, and, and, and Nixon won in a landslide. 
Of course, I couldn't let that stand, and, and <laughs> hence the Watergate thing, you know. So, um, but that, that, I see that as being the analog for today. I think that, that, and I wish they weren't so silent, and I wish they weren't silent then, but in any event, there, there are, there's good reason to be silent. There's good reason for the majority to be silent. You know, you can lose your job over it. Right, the cancel the culture, time, right. Oh, yeah, the last time, I don't even call it a culture. I call it a purge. Ah. The cancel purge. Right. Um, and that's, that's the way it is. These people, these hard-hearted uh, people. I, I, the last job I had working uh, in legal document examination, which is a kind of a business where you get a whole bunch of lawyers together in a room and they look over, say, a million documents and determine which one is relevant, which one is not, and all that. And they were great guys, but they were all young Chicago lawyers. And believe me, there's nothing stupider in the world than a young Chicago lawyer. And they were all commies. They were all left. They were all soft on all of this stuff. And there was very little you could do to get in, get to them. Um, and I remember the day that I actually revealed that I was that I that I had voted for Trump. <laughs> And I think I think when you write the comedy of my life as a play, and cast some good comic in the role, that that ought to be a central scene. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> because it was hilarious, and I remember the the the, uh, the jerk uh, who who really got upset about this because I was essentially attacking him and he was attacking me. Um, he said, "Oh." Why did you do what? Well, I don't. I don't remember what it was. Why did the Jews? Uh, why is is? Uh, he was saying that Trump was anti-Semitic. I said Trump is good for the Jews. He said, "Well, why?" And I said, "You know what? You're such a fucking wise guy. Why don't you figure it out on your on your own?" Sorry for the language. No, go ahead. We're adults here. It's okay. <laughs> You know, and and, and 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 you know why I said that? Because there's no point in arguing with these people. Don't right. even try. Don't. You don't have the ability. The only way you're going to beat these people is by beating them, by defeating them. Don't even try to talk to them. They, they are only doing that to raise your blood pressure. And believe me, we're all old enough. We have to worry about our blood pressure. Right? <laughs> um, but but that, that, that's the thing. So, so do I, that's, a, I think, a great reason to be optimistic is to see this as that kind of election. There's a lot of problems. What happens if they steal the election? They do that on a regular basis. I remember there was a book that came out in the 70s called um, um, If It's Big Enough, They Can't Steal It. Hmm. And that's the kind of election we need. We need a wave election. We need to show these people that they're wrong. And that's how you're going to defeat it. But there's another thing that I've always said, and I don't see it in the right. Um, the right has to rely less on leaders and more on mass action. And I know it's hard. We're all working. We all have our own things. We, we, we actually have a life, guys. Right. It's the difference between us and the leftists. They don't. Um, and, and, and we, but we, it, it's, it, it's so one thing, if there was ever anything I learned from being a trot. It was the importance of mass action, and the right has to learn this, and they have not. And the problem, if you don't engage in mass action, then you engage 
in reliance on elected officials, and the elected officials will always let you down. Thank God we have Donald Trump here. He is the least like an elected official I've ever seen in my life. He comes from heaven. He comes from God. He doesn't come from the world. There you go. But, um, uh, but, and, and, and Baruch Hashem, I, I pray for him every I really do. We have a prayer which we insert in, in the standing uh, Amidah every day, which, is for, for, which actually includes a prayer. You can put it in there. For the president and the vice president, if you if you if you pray, you should pray for them. Um, Agreed. Um, so um, so that's one reason for for my optimism. Um, oh. Another reason for my optimism is um, the difference between Whitaker Chambers and Ayn Rand. Oh. Go ahead. Whitaker Chambers wrote the the fundamental work of American conservatism called Witness. Ayn Rand wrote another fundamental work of American conservatism called Atlas Shrugs. Right. The introduction to witness will make you cry. You can't help it. It's all about the tragedy of the fact that socialism and communism is inevitable. And, and, and how horrible a thing that is. That's Whitaker Chambers. Um, but then there's Ayn Rand. And Ayn Rand believed in philosophy. And one of the great philosophical principles is the law of identity and the law of non-contradiction. The law of identity means that A equals A. The law of non-contradiction means that A can never equal non-A. And what's the point of this? Communism is against human nature. It's against reality. It's against economics. It's against logic. How can such a thing endure? It's impossible. That was Ayn Rand's great contribution to the conservative discussion. All right, there we go. We're going to hold on here. And we'll see. We are in a third segment. Yeah. Okay. Be right back. Don't go anywhere. This is fascinating, people. You don't want to miss the, any more of this. Be right back. Black Metal Firearms are a couple guys I know personally and friends of mine that put together some great accessories for all your firearms needs. Everything that I've seen them do is just top notch and very nice looking. BlackMetalFirearms.com. Check them out. I think you'll be glad you did. Go to Facebook, Black Metal Firearms. They got a great page there too. Learn more about the workmanship and the craftsmanship they put into every accessory and every build they do. Life is unpredictable, but you can count on Valley Food Storage to help you and your family prepare. With clean, natural, great tasting, and long-lasting food storage, with our natural and nutritious freeze-dried food, you'll be storing the food you love to eat. Log on to ContraRadioNetwork.com and click on the Valley Food Storage banner. All right, welcome back to our fourth and final segment with my distinguished guest, Scott Alexander. My friends, you know, you know, hold on, Scott, I got a question for you. You know, at the beginning of the last segment, I think you were leading up to the point by um, 
saying that because we're seeing Antifa and BLM and all the rest of them absolutely acting out like maniacs, are we seeing the demise or the end of their movement or or the are they just you know the overindulged spoiled children the grandchildren of the 60s what 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 was your conclusion on that my conclusion right now is that i think that we would be seeing the tail end of it except for one bad actor and that's china you know what and i'm convinced i think they're behind it I, I you know what would you be surprised if they weren't I'd be sh- I, I, I can't imagine that that would be the case. I, I think they're giving them the money, the funding, everything. This is part of their wolf warrior diplomacy. It's part of their war fighting doctrine. It's part of their ongoing um, uh, uh, way of doing business. Um, as Trump pushes harder on them, they're going to push harder back. And they, and they fight in non-symmetrical ways. They're not going to meet you like redcoats on a field of battle, blowing at each other with blunderbusses. Huh. They're going to come in your bedroom. They're going to go to your school. Well, they're they're going to get into everything. Scott, they're already in our schools. How many? Totally. How many? I mean... And I blame the conservatives for this back in the 60s. They gave up the academic arena decades ago. Yeah, but I mean specifically the Chinese. You know about the Confucius Institute. Tell me about it. Tell my listeners about it. It's a worldwide organization. They have other ones. They're changing the name all the time. So you can't really keep track of it. Joshua Phillips talks about it all the time. But... um, the Confucius Institutes are on, on pretty much every college campus and a lot of high schools and every, anywhere else they can get their tentacles in. Um, they, yeah, they'll give you a nice course in Chinese. It won't be classic Chinese. It'll be the doctored, crappy Chinese <laughs> the Chinese Communist Party does now. Um, it, and, and, and it's not really about Chinese culture. It's about Chinese Communist Party culture, CCP culture. Um, that's on every school. And you know, and you know how they can get there because they give the school money, mm-hmm. and the school takes money from wherever they can get it. And they, and while they're on these campuses, they find out who are the professors of physics. They find out who are the professors of engine of electrical engineering. They find out who are the professors in any of the areas that they want to rip off biology. Um, uh, nano nanotechnology, whatever it is that they want, they're there. They're in your university. They're finding the expert of that thing. They're getting them paid off either directly through the consulate or through the Confucius Institute or any of a number of other ways. Some of them don't know their size. Some of them do. Um, uh, they get free trips to China. They have a ball. Um, it, 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 it's, it's the whole thing. And this is pervasive. It's, it, it's entirely through academe. It's through everything. And, and, but what I'm saying is these groups, I know for a fact that these groups have been um, meeting and getting um, guidance 
from China. I'm not sure which organization it is, but it's probably one of the bureaus of the People's Liberation Army. Or maybe it's through the United Front um, uh, uh, Department. Um, there are any number of names for these things. And, they're, and, and, and I think that they're funding these Antifa and other groups. And B, by the way, BLM is also one of the fronts for these people. Um, there's no question. If you go to the BLM website, you'll see it. It's all there. They're manifested. They're all kind of complete communists. So um, why? So that's another danger. Look, I'm just telling you that that I can tell you all why it's so rosy. You know why why uh, the law of contradiction denies communism. I can tell you why history denies communism. I can tell you why God denies communism. But ultimately, we've got to deny communism. Right. So that's that. So that's one thing that I do. The other thing that I do, which I, is really what I do, all this other stuff is, is really not what I do. <laughs> but what I, what, I, what I do is um, I'm, a, uh, I, I, I'm a researcher. I'm a scholar. Um, I, I work in the area of philosophy and theology, which I don't see contradictory to each other. And I work on the writing of a... Uh, Jewish philosopher of the 12th century named Maimonides. Um, his name was Rabbi Moses Ben Maimon. Sometimes Jews call him Rambam from the acronym. Um, in fact, that's usually, they don't like to use the word Maimonides because it sounds Greek. But I like the word Maimonides, so I use it all the time. Um, and um, the story of his acceptance as a philosopher and the story of his acceptance among the Jews as a lawyer or a, a legislator are two completely different stories, and it, that distinction is something I work on. He's, he's famous and accepted by Orthodox Jews everywhere for his legislative work, um, but they're very... Um, they keep their hands off this philosophy work, which is too bad because his book with the wonderful name, The Guide of the Perplexed, is one of the greatest works of philosophy ever written. And it, it, this is a work that I'm um, doing essay commentaries on each chapter of, and I've been working on this for 30 years. And I've gotten the entire first volume of The Guide commented on, and it's available for anyone who wants to see it, at Maimonides-guide.com, um, or just look up Maimonides and my name, and you should be able to come to it. My website is very full. It has commentary essays on all 76 chapters of the first volume of the guide, plus two chapters on his introduction to that, and now... An intro, a commentary on his introduction to Volume 2, which I'm also working on. And when you're there, you'll also see my podcasts and videos. I'm right now working on a, a set of eight videos um, on uh, what I call the 26 Propositions of Aristotelian Philosophy, where Maimonides does this incredible thing where he sums up all of Aristotelian philosophy in 26 sentences. The only problem with them, even though they're translated into English, you can read them, you won't understand them, and that's why you need my essay. <laughs> but you'll also see 
Uh, I have many <coughs> other essays there, um, including book reviews. Uh, I've got videos. I've got here are the videos I've got so far. Um, I've got um, uh, videos introducing various chapters. Uh, I've got why prophecy is central to Maimonides' Guide to the Perplexes, one of my most recent videos. Uh, I did a video on did Maimonides conceal a secret doctrine in his Guide to the Perplexed? Well, did he? What drove, Maimon what mo what drove Maimonides to the study of Aristotelian philosophy? Why did Maimonides reject atomism? Why did Maimonides reject the existence of an actual infinite? All of these are relatively short videos of 12 minutes, 10 minutes, 14 minutes. Um, and, um, uh, you know, I can't do everything I do in the essays because <laughs> what you do, what you're doing it, when you're talking is different from what you do when you're writing. But I'm trying to, because um, this stuff is hard. I mean, I want to tell you it's easy, it's hard. Um, but that, you know, there's a reason why it's hard. Um, you know, God is hard. Religion is hard. Um, you know, we're not just fools getting into this stuff because we believe in God and believe in religion. We're, we're, we're troubled by it all the time. We're always working on it. So when I was looking around, I'd always been interested in philosophy, but I'd gone from one to another, and I never really settled on anything. And then I found out about uh, the Guide to the Perplexed. And what I love about it is the way it's centered. In other words, how could Maimonides' Guide be simple, since it negotiates so many treacherous divides, ancient versus modern, east versus west, north versus south, Platonism versus Aristotelianism, Ptolemaic versus Copernican cosmology, science versus religion, Kabbalah versus philosophy, Judaism versus Islam, and both against Christianity. I mean, that's a lot to talk about. Yes, Don't it is. Don't you want to know about all of that? Don't you? I mean, isn't that central to what you know our hearts really ought to be doing, to try and find out the truth, and and how it how it works its way through all of these structures of thought? Isn't that what we should be doing? That's where I'm coming from, and so that's what I've devoted my life to. Now I'm only finished volume volume one. There is also a volume two and a volume three, and I hope to live long enough. You will. You're not going anywhere. It's very slow work. But anyway, I should be finished with that eighth video course very soon. Today, this morning already, I recorded the fifth video in that course. So that's something uh, that I hope people will want to look forward to and get into. Um, by the way, um, don't think that this is purely parochial Jewish stuff. I mean, obviously, we're a small people. It's a small religion. Uh, not everybody is into it. But let me tell you something. Have you ever heard of, of Thomas Aquinas? Yes, the, of course. The Catholics call him St. Thomas. Yes. So this book that I'm working on was his source material. Oh, really? Yes. I did not know that. In now fact, I know. In fact, Thomas... Uh, is constantly talking about this or that idea of Rabbi, he calls him Rabbi Moises, ah. M-O-I-S-E-S, -E the French way or whatever, the way in which they, they, they used to translate it into Latin. Um, uh, and really, on everything except, you know, really specific Christian doctrine, Jewish doctrine stuff where they're at loggerheads, on pretty much every other issue, 
um, Aquinas is Maimonides. They're, they're pretty much the same on things like free will and determinism, on the nature of, of, uh, of negative theology, although there's some differences there, um, on a whole raft of in- issues. Um, you could you could you could find that they're practically um, they're practically in the same school, if you want to put it that way. Um, and uh, and and the book was uh, translated very early, and then several times into Latin, which is how uh, Thomas would have found out about it. But he was also influential on many other um, uh, scholastics of the 12th, 13th, and 14th century, and of course. Um, he is really the greatest figure in Jewish philosophy, and all subsequent Jewish philosophers are in one sense or another commenting on the guide of the perplexed. So this is one of the great, great milestones of world literature, surely of Western literature, um, and um, uh, endless riches of thought uh, by a man who, um, in his spare time, um, wrote a um, an encyclopedia of all of Jewish law, and who also wrote an encyclopedia of all the medical aphorisms and wisdom that he had come to him in his time. Oh, wow! Hmm. So um, uh, Maimonides, a man who probably had a photographic memory and would have needed it, a man <laughs> who was chased from one country to another until he finally ended up in Egypt, um, a man who um, corresponded with people all over the world and was looked to at the time as the leader of the Jewish world, um, and whose books were burned. And uh, by by um, uh, the French, but at the instigation of other rabbis. There's oh, wow. a lot of story here to tell, and I try to tell as much of it as I can uh, in my commentaries, and if it, if I haven't, then I I link to other people on my website, many other links, which help to tell this um, incredible story. And uh, you know, if I can uh, uh, do my bit to uh, uh, memorialize uh, his memory and channel his thought, then maybe I'll have done something good with my life. Scott, you've done a lot with your life, just from what I know. Of you. You're a good man, Scott Alexander. Thank you, and thank you. You're the best. No, no, no. I'm just a servant of the Patriots and the Preppers. <laughs> hey, all right, buddy. Hey, everybody. Check out Scott Alexander's website. Now, I know for a lot of you, the last 10 minutes went over your head. That's okay. If it was easy, we wouldn't need Scott. But the fact is, this takes a little higher intellect, some thought to go into it, to think and expose yourself to this. It's not going to kill you. It's not the work of the devil. So don't sweat it. Hey. By the way, by yeah. the way, I strive to be comprehensible. I try to knock down my writing to... I mean, I consider myself successful if I've written it at high school level. All right. And by the way, there's a way, there's a way you can tell this. There's a thing called flesh scoring, F-L-E-S-C-H. You do it on the Internet. 
you go to the to the site, you put in your essay, it tells you what grade level reader it requires. Oh nice. I try to push I try to push it down as much as possible. This is English. When I use Hebrew words, I explain them. Okay. Um, I, when, I, when I come up with a new con concept, I explain it. Um, this is not, I'm, I'm not here to show off my wisdom or scholarship because that doesn't help anyone. And I hate it when I was learning philosophy and I had to look all over the place to try and find stuff out. I think that if you're a commentator, you should lay it all out there for people to the extent you can. And, 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 and with the help of God, I hope I've done that. Scott, like I said, you're a good man. You don't, Scott, if you were doing this for the accolades, I'd be very surprised because that's not you. Oh, that's, what, that's my joke. People ask me why I did it. I said, well, the reason I got into my monies was because I was looking to make a quick buck. <laughs> that's not you. Nice try. You can tell it to other people, but I know better. No, no, no. Uh, well, well, so far, um, my uh, my income from this work uh, has been not only negative, but wildly negative. <laughs> now you know how I feel. Welcome to the club. Get on the wagon, pal. Well, <laughs> well you know, there's no point in doing anything unless you want to do it. Right. Absolutely. All right, my friends, my listeners, the Intelligentsia. My guest has been Scott Alexander. Scott, thank you for taking time out of your busy day, your busy week. I don't want to interfere with you anymore, but I probably will. I can't promise you that I won't. I want to thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your life experience, and what we can expect. I really do appreciate it, and I know the listeners do too. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure and a delight. Thank you, my friend. I will talk with you later. To my to the listeners, thank you. We'll uh, check out next week's episodes. I got more coming. More coming! In addition to, I believe we have a new show starting probably next week or next two weeks. Stay tuned. So until then, be safe, be alert, and be vigilant. I'm John Jeffers here on the Jeffers Brief saying thank you, and we'll talk to you again very shortly. <laughs>